Today we are finishing up our sermon series that we've been in the past five weeks. And uh, we're finishing it up so that we can launch into Christmas next week. We're going to be full on Clark Griswold next Sunday, okay? So I'm excited about it. But today we need to wrap this up and we get to, hand, we get to talk about a topic today um, that I warned you last week was rated PG-13, okay? So just again, another warning for parents. It's rated PG-13 not because I'm going to say anything like, I'm not going to try to be all edgy with you. You know, I'm not going to try to be that pastor that tries to, you know, say like things over the edge just to like, you know, just to get, uh, you know, just to be flashy and we're not, none of that. But the topic uh, this morning is if we're gonna, we've been spending five weeks talking about relationships. Um, it's, the sermon series has been called Keep It Weird because from the beginning, Christians have viewed their lives and the things that God's given them very differently than the rest of the world. So differently, in fact, that the rest of the world from the very beginning has looked at Christians and said, man, they're, they're weird. They're, they're so strange. The way they view money is weird. The way they view their relationships, the way they view their time, the way they view power, the way they, you know, the way they view those things is just so different. It's weird. And it's kind of made the world stop and, and just sort of pause and look at the claims that Christianity makes. And uh, it's one of our great sort of tools that we have as Christians to be able to help the world see that following Jesus is, it's weird, but it's better. It's better. It's harder, but it's better. But it's better. And so we've been talking about uh, in, in the context of marriage and relationships, and these have been some really fun weeks. But today I get to talk about sex. Does anybody else want to come up and talk about, talk about this this morning, maybe? Um, is it hot in here? No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, no, it's such an important thing. And here's what I want, here's what I want to say, uh, just, just to start off, is, is um, I find, I find that when so much of the rest of our culture is talking about it, and every movie's got something to say about it. You know, there's plenty of gospels out there that we're preached to all the time. And it's funny how sometimes Christians feel really awkward talking about it. And so we just don't. <laughs> or we push back on it and we just say, oh, oh, that's, uh, oh, you know, and we just kind of like take that attitude or something. And, 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 and for, that's just, unfortunately, that's not a biblical stance to take because um, the Bible is not shy in talking about sex. It's just not. And so we as Christians have a lot to add to the conversation. Do you know why we have a lot to add to the conversation? Because we believe our God made it. Isn't that weird? Like, isn't that crazy? Our God made it, all right? And he made it the way that he made it, which is kind of incredible. And so if God made it, then we shouldn't be shy to be able to talk about it. It impacts all of our lives in different ways, and we're all in sort of a different seasons of life, and I totally get that, so it'll sort of land on us in some different ways. But basically, I want to um, take you to a passage of Scripture in the New Testament where Paul is writing to a church in Corinth, and he is fielding some questions, and he's answering some questions for them, and it's hugely instructive for us still today. So um, I don't know where you're landing today. You know, I don't know uh, sort of what season of life you're in, but here's what I know for sure is, is if you've got kids, there's, we, our church is filled with kids, such a blessing. And, uh, and so, hey, parents, this is, maybe you, you, you didn't feel kind of equipped to, to tackle this subject with your kids, but I want to help you. I want to help you have some language I want to help you, I want to help direct you to some passages of Scripture because I want, I think it's important for parents to have a clear understanding of, hey, wh what is sex for? What is it about? How, why did God make it, make it the way that, it did, that he did? 
Because if we, don't, if we don't have that clear, then it's going to be really difficult for us to talk to our kids about it. And I know some of you are like, talk to our kids? Do we have to? Like, can't we just, like, push that off until our 30? You know, like, will, will they believe the stork story for a while, right? Like, we don't have to tackle it. Um, listen, here's what I want you to know, parents, is, is everybody else is talking to your kid about it. Everybody else is preaching a gospel to your kid about it. So you better, you better be talking to your kid about it. It is your job, it's your responsibility to unpack, hey, what is this about? What is this for? Because if you don't, somebody else will. Their friends at school will, a television show will, a movie will. You know, everybody's preaching a gospel. So why don't we preach the gospel in this, in this regard to our kids? So may, maybe you don't have kids. Maybe you're single and you're just sort of, you know, like this is the season of life you're in. Maybe you're a grandparent. And you're like, hey, been there, done that. I had those conversations. But hey, but now you're a grandparent. And so you get to help some younger generations um, not get crazy when it comes to perspectives on sex. Now, listen, isn't it true that our world has got all sorts of perspectives on, on sex and what it's for? And, and uh, I mean, just and like craziness. We just look around in our culture and it's like, oh my gosh, is sex even sex anymore? It's like an extreme sport now, you know? It's like this thing that's so separated from, from intimacy and separated from, from relationship. And it's just this sort of thing that gets so easily used and abused and misunderstood. Um, and so this passage, Paul is going to really help us get recalibrated, okay? Now, you know how you calibrate things around your house? I'm having an example for you today, and it might actually just revolutionize your life. Um, maybe the whole price, you know, like the price of admission is going to get taken care of just with this little tidbit about, about to give you. But do you know what this is? This is an oven thermometer. And did you know that you can calibrate your oven temperature? Did you guys know you could do that? I Googled it last night. Google it, not now, but you know, later. Google it. But you know what you do is you put this in your oven, and then you set it to a specific temperature, and then you look in and you see if it's actually cooking at that temperature. And some of you are like, that's why my turkey was overcooked, you know? Or that's why everyone got salmonella. Because we, we assume, don't you assume that when you set it to 350 that you're that your oven's cooking at 350, but it might not be. That's wild, right? Have you ever thought about that? So that's what these, that's what these things are for. You put it in there and it helps you. Um, we need to be, re our culture, our world needs to be recalibrated when it comes to our understanding of sex. Because, there's so, because we might think that we're doing fine, but really, really we're, we're running too hot. Or maybe we're running way too cold and we're just missing it. And so Paul's going to help us. So here's the context. Paul is writing a letter to this church in Corinth. Corinth, not to spend a whole lot of time on this, but if you, if you study Corinth, Corinth was like, it was a port city. It was like the Vegas of their day. Okay? It was just a very, you know, just lots of different cultural influences there in, in Corinth and lots of different perspectives on sex. Now, picture this. Picture this. There are these people, you know, we would, you could, some would call them like pagans, just meaning, you know, they worship all these other gods, but they're introduced to this Jesus who is alive and, and their hearts are transformed and now they're Christians, but they're coming out of just all these different perspectives on sex and this different perspectives of the body. And so now they're in like a new community with a new God and they're like scratching their heads. Hey, we're confused about this. What are we supposed to think about this now? 
And so they write Paul and they ask him, Paul, would you help clear this up for us? And then Paul writes them and he's, I just want you, I'm going to read it. It's kind of a, I took like a smattering from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Um, I just put, took like bits and pieces. I want to read it to you in this version of, of the scripture called The, the Message. Um, it's like a transliteration of, uh, of the text. But I find that the wording is really, really helpful. And, um, and I just want you to listen to Paul just being so brilliant. Paul being so pastoral. Paul being so logical when it comes to this topic. And then we'll just take a few things. Here's what Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Just because something is technically legal doesn't mean that it's spiritually appropriate. If I went around doing whatever I thought I could get by with, I'd be a slave to my whims. Which, pause there just, just for a second, but I just got to say that this actually, this, this is so brilliant. Because when he says, if I went around doing whatever I thought I could get by with, our culture looks at that sentence and says, yeah, that's freedom. <laughs> doing whatever I want to do, yeah, that is so free. But Paul says, actually, no, it's not free. If I live that way, I actually become a slave. I become a slave to myself. I become a slave to my whims. And he goes on, you know the old saying, first you eat to live, and then you live to eat. Well, it may be true that the body is only a temporary thing, but that's no excuse for stuffing your body with food or indulging it with sex. Since the master honors you with a body, honor him with your body. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as a physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which, can I just read that again, by the way, because that's a brilliant sentence. He says, since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love for becoming one with another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for the physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. Now, getting down to the questions you asked in your letter to me. First, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Certainly. Certainly, he says, but only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. If you were to ask Paul, Paul, is fire good? Paul would say, yes, fire is certainly fire is good, but only within a certain context. Because fire is wonderful. Fire is amazing. Fire in the pit, you can roast some marshmallows on that sucker. You can like hang around and sing campfire songs and you can tell stories. I mean, that's the best part of camping, right, is the campfire. He goes, fire in the pit is amazing. Fire out in the forest tearing through 
No, that's, oh, that's destructive. So Paul would say the same thing about fire as he says about sex. He says it's wonderful, it's beautiful, but it's like fire. There's a certain context in which, in which it becomes a beautiful thing. And then he says this, the marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to, quote, stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it, and if it's for the purposes of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. Then come back together again. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. I'm not, understand, commanding these periods of abstinence, only providing my best counsel if you should choose them. Um, Verse 7, he goes on. Sometimes I wish everyone were single like me. A simpler life in many ways. But celibacy is not for everyone any more than marriage is. God gives the gift of the single life to some, the gift of the married life to others. And then in verse 17, and here's where we'll finish it up. He says, and don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. God, not your marital status, defines your life. Now, I would encourage you, because I skipped some parts. Paul has plenty of, actually, lots of other things to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and, and, and chapter 7. So go there on your own. Read those passages. Hugely helpful, really informative. But for today, there's just, I pulled those out because here's a couple things um, that Paul is wanting to uh, tell us. Um, I want you to see that Christianity gives the world a revolutionary view of the body, a revolutionary view of sex and marriage, a revolutionary view of singleness and celibacy, and a revolutionary kind of sexual freedom. Okay? Those are the things. Those are the things. Here we go. First, a revolutionary view of the body, Paul gives us. Um, two things were being said about sex and the, bo- and the human body in the time of Paul. Two, thing, two main things that people were saying. And Paul is refuting them in this passage. The two things that people were saying was, number one, sex is just a natural appetite. It's just a natural appetite, and so because it's perfectly natural, I'm free to engage in sex however I please. That was one view. It's just, it's just perfectly natural. It's like food. Um, Paul uses this kind of phrase that they would have been familiar with, familiar with, you know, first you eat to live and then you live to eat, or food for the stomach and stom- stomach, stomach for the food, you know, and maybe your version has, has, says that. But Paul is sort of saying that a lot of people um, in his day are looking at sex just like food. And when you are hungry, you've got this appetite and it's perfectly natural for you to just go eat a sandwich, right? And for you to not go eat a sandwich would be like, would be weird. It's like, no, you feel like an urge to eat a sandwich? You should go make yourself a sandwich. And there is many people in Paul's day and still many people in our day that would say, yes, of course, that's all sex is. It's just a natural appetite. And to sort of sort of like curb that, to sort of push that down, to say like, uh, to say that I'm not going to follow every women fancy that I feel sexually. Oh, that's repressive. That's, that's unhealthy. That's unnatural. That's what people still say today. And that's what people were saying back then. Another view um, that Paul is refuting that was in his day was the second view, which is that, lex, or that sex is a lustful poison. It's a lustful poison. Therefore, it's better not to have any sex at all. <laughs> So this is what some people were saying too in Paul's day. Because remember, they're coming out of this different culture that viewed sex and the body really, really sort of 
you know, promiscuously. And so now they're sort of, now they're Christians and they're like, what do we do, Paul? I know it's all the, that whole business, ick, sinful, fleshly, wrong. And so we're just going to stay away. We're just not going to, we're not going to have any part of it. And so, you know, hey, sex is dirty, it's wrong, it's bad. Unfortunately, that sort of view has wormed its way into the church through the centuries. It's just become sort of a thing to where, uh, to where and it all started, you know, back with, you know, there's this guy named Plato, and Plato had this view that, uh, that your physical body and, your, and the spiritual part of you and the f- physical part of you, that those were two separate things. And so he separated the physical part and the spiritual part, meaning you could do whatever you wanted to physically, but it didn't affect you spiritually. And so the church sort of came in alongside that and was like, oh, yeah, the the physical part of you, that's the fleshly part of you. It's bad. It's wicked. Don't do anything that feels good. Don't do anything that's fun because that must be sinful. And so the church sort of entered into that thing. You remember Monty Python and the Holy Grail, right? You know, remember that in the movie? Uh, you know, it's like, hey, let's just like hurt ourselves. And, you know, the more, the more pain we're experiencing, the better. You know, and pretty soon that sort of developed into, remember, in the Catholic church, in like the, the church in those early days, uh, priests were celibate. Why? Because if you were celibate, that meant you were more holy. You weren't tainted. You weren't, you know, you, you weren't involved in those fleshly things. And listen, Paul is refuting that kind of, refuting that kind of thinking. He's saying, no, no, no. He, you know, they ask him, is it, okay to have, is it okay to have sex? And Paul says, certainly, certainly, within a certain context. But certainly, he's answering these questions for him. Um, and then this third one, I'll add this one because this is one that's very present in our day. I don't know, I'm not actually quite sure if it was present in Paul's day, but it's present in our day. The third way that people view the body and view sex would be this, is that sex is self-expression. Sex is self-expression. Meaning, I can't be a healthy, whole person if I don't express myself sexually. That's the view that is predominant in our day, along with those other ones as well. Is, I am my body and I, if I'm going to express myself, if I'm going to be a healthy whole person, then I have to follow the, any feeling I have because it would be unhealthy to push those down because that's who I am. And Paul looks at all those different viewpoints and he says, uh, uh, no. And Paul, in this passage, is saying something really, really profound. He contradicts it. He says this, essentially. That Christians from the very beginning, we've always thought differently about our bodies. Here's what Christians from the beginning have believed about our bodies, is that our bodies are good. Our bodies are good. And our bodies are necessary. That my body is an integral part of me. It's connected to my soul. It's not disconnected, like Plato said. It's connected to my soul. Therefore, what I do with my body affects me everywhere else because I am my body and my body is in my soul. And, we, we, you, know, you, know, uh, you know, it gets confusing. Like, well, what happens when we die? Like, we don't have bodies anymore. But here's kind of the crazy thing is that what we know from, from the scripture is that when we get to be in God's new kingdom, that guess what's going to be involved is some kind of a body. We, we get bodies. Martin Luther said this about, about bodies, about, about human bodies. He said, that from the, he said that bodies are good. Jesus, our, our king, guess what? He gets a body. He comes from heaven to earth and he gets a body. He's perfect and he is enfleshed in a body. Satan doesn't get a body. 
And then when Jesus rises from the dead, guess what he rises into? He rises into a resurrection body. And then we get resurrection bodies. Martin Luther would say, hey, bodies, they're good. They're an integral part. But, but, but you are so much more than your body. You are a body, but you are so much more. You're so much more than that. There's so much more to you than that. That you've got these appetites and feelings and our bodies are here and our bodies are broken and our bodies, there's things going on with it that we don't understand. And while I am my body, also I am also more than my body. I'm, I'm also not my body, but my body's integral. Do you, so do you see this line that Paul is trying to, trying to draw here? He's, that's why he says you can't just go and do anything with your body because God owns your body too. God owns the whole works. And one of the ways that the world sees who God is, is the world looks and sees how we handle our bodies because our bodies matter. Eastern religions, they say, hey, we need to free ourselves from our physical bodies in order for us to reach kind of perfection or nirvana. There's others that would say we need to starve our bodies because they're bad and wicked. Some would say we need to indulge our bodies because our bodies are just natural appetites. But Christianity comes in and says something completely different. Christianity says, no, our bodies matter. God is at work redeeming our bodies. Our bodies are a part of us. Um, the next revolutionary view that Paul puts forward is a revolutionary, revolutionary view on sex. I find it interesting that Paul doesn't react to, to the city of Corinth's sort of over-sexualized culture with an under-sexualized spirituality. Did you hear what I just said? Paul doesn't react to an over-sexualized Corinth by being like, okay, let's just come over to this new team and we're just gonna like downplay the whole sex thing. And like, we're just not even gonna make it a big deal. You know, like, shh, just don't talk about it, you know? Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't under-sexualize it. He, Paul, he like, he's, he's diving into it and he says, no, 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 no. Sex isn't a, just an appetite. No, it's not just a way to express yourself. Um, it's certainly not a lustful poison that's supposed to be squashed. What Paul says is he says, no, 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 sex is sacred. It's sacred. It's sacred. Now, when I say sacred, I don't know, some of you are like, sacred, that sounds boring. Sacred, that sounds like inhibited. You know, sacred, that sounds like churchy. You know, like, ah, I don't, I don't like putting like sex and sacred like next to each other. I don't know, that's weird. But Christianity from the beginning has said, no, 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 sex is sacred. I want you to think about a uh, thought experiment for us. Second, I want you to think about your house. I want you to think about one of the most sacred things that's at your house, okay? Think about a sacred thing that's at your house. One of the most sacred things. Think about it, what is it? What is that sacred thing? Another word to think about, a word sacred is special. Think about the most special thing at your house. Now, I don't know about you, I've got little kids at my house, so special sacred things aren't at like arm's reach of little children at my house, okay? Um, sacred things are like top shelf sort of things, right? Isn't it true in your house? I mean, like you don't just get let, let like strangers come over and just like, you know, like, like hang out with your sacred stuff. Your sacred stuff is stuff you bring out on the right occasions, right? I guarantee you nobody thought of this when you were thinking about what's sacred at your house. Did anybody think of duct tape when you were thinking about the sacred thing at your house? No, nobody did. Why? Because this is just, this is a multitasker. This has got like all sorts of purposes. It's easy come, easy go, you know. Um, I'll show you the, one of the most sacred things at my house besides my wife and children, okay? Um, those are the most sacred. But I brought this over here. This is my guitar. 
this is, um, I've used this illustration before, but I mean, this is like, I mean, you got to ask my permission to play this guitar. Okay, I'm a generous person, you know. Um, I'll share all sorts of stuff, but you got to ask me first for this, okay. My dad bought this in 1969, and he gave it to me on my 18th birthday. It's a D35 Martin. I don't know how expensive it is. I don't know how much I could sell it for, but I could sell it for a lot of money. It's in great condition. I keep it in good condition. This is sacred. I keep it in a nice special container. I treat it real careful. Now, if you came over to my house, like, for the 4th of July, and what if I put, like, a guacamole bowl dish right here, you know? Just set it out, and we're just like chips here in a bowl, guac. It's a perfect little hole for guac, you know? Just put a little bowl here. That would be like a sweet little chip dispenser thing, wouldn't it? No, I'm not going to do that. Why? Because I wouldn't do that to something, you know, so special, so sacred. Think about whatever that is in your house. See, it's, it's, you, it's sacred because it's wonderful, it's beautiful, it's special. And so this is, we're getting a glimpse as, as to why, um, why God says, see, the reason sex is for marriage The Bible says sex is for married people. It's not for dating people. It's not for engaged people. It's not for in love people. It's for married people. And, and our culture looks at that and says, gosh, that's like, that just seems like so like rigid. And, but you know what? Listen, the reason why. Christians, why, why we believe that sex is for marriage isn't because we have a low view of sex. It's because we have an incredibly high view of sex. We have an incredibly lofty, beautiful view of sex. Oh, no, this is not like duct tape, like bottom shelf sort of a thing. This is like top shelf, amazing, wonderful, beautiful. It's lovely. Christians don't look at sex. It's not a biblical perspective to look at sex and say, ugh. No, it's, a, it's a, a biblical perspective is to look at sex and say, oh, wow, amazing, amazing. Gosh, cherish that. And so therefore, just like any sacred thing in your house, you've got some things that protect it. You've got some, some rules surrounding it because it's just that wonderful. And so it, wouldn't, it shouldn't surprise us that God would put some guidelines and some rules about how he would want us to handle this sacred, sacred thing that he gave us. Um, <laughs> now, here's what's interesting. Paul has given us a view of sex and the body that was so lofty, higher than anything that had been written up until that point. It was astounding. And then in the next breath, look at what Paul does. In the next breath, not only does he give us a revolutionary view of sex, but then he gives us a revolutionary view of singleness and celibacy. I'll paraphrase for you, okay? He says, now I've never read this part of 1 Corinthians um, at a wedding, okay? I've never read this part. It's the part that says, I'll paraphrase. He says, hey, you know what? It's just better if you stay single. I'm single. Things are pretty good. There's a lot of trouble and headaches when you get married. So just stay single like me. That's what Paul says. I've never read that at a wedding. If you want me to read that at your wedding, I'll, I'll do it. But hey, it'll be weird. 
this is the, for Paul to say this, for Paul to say, hey, just stay single, would have been, listen, this is hard for us to grasp. In our day, it's a little bit controversial um, because our culture says, no, you got to like find someone and sexually express yourself if you're going to be a whole person. You can't be a whole person unless you do that. But in Paul's day, it would, it would have been incredibly different. It would have been so unique for Paul to say be single because th- I want you to think about this. In the Paul, Paul's context that he's in is he's, he's in a very traditional sort of a culture, okay, a traditional culture. And traditional cultures tend to be family-centered cultures, community-centered cultures, where in Paul's culture, you, your honor didn't come from your own exploits. Your honor and didn't come from your own achievements. You didn't have honor unless you had a family, You didn't have honor unless you had family achievements. You didn't have honor unless you had like a family name. And you didn't have honor unless nobody would remember your name in that culture unless you had heirs, unless you had had people to pass on your legacy, unless you had people to pass on your land, unless you had people to pass on your life to. And so having heirs in that culture was huge. That's why when we read the scriptures and whenever we see childlessness, which happens a lot in the scriptures, it's such a devastating thing for these, for these, for these people in the scriptures because, because no, 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 then, then nobody will remember our name. We have to pass on our, our, our stuff, our name. And so having a family was where you got your significance in that culture. And you, you hear what Paul's saying when he's saying, hey, just stay single. He's making a radical statement of where we get our identity from. And Paul is saying you don't get it from having kids. And you don't have to put your wrap your identity in having a family name. We can get it from someplace, someplace else. <laughs> Paul gives us the highest view of sex and marriage that anybody ever had. And then he says in the very next breath, you can live your whole life without it. That's crazy. He says it's sex, marriage, body, lovely, wonderful. And also, you don't have to have it to be somebody. You can be single like me. How in the world can Paul say that? What could bring him to say this revolutionary thing? Well, um, which by the way is very, very, um, it's very revolutionary in our day too. In our day too. You remember Jerry Maguire? Remember? You complete me. You complete me. You had me at hello, Jerry. You had me at hello. You remember that? You complete me. That's what we think. We think that I can't be a whole person unless, unless I am completed by someone else. And Paul says, listen, that is not, is not our worldview as Christ followers. How can Paul say this? He can say this because Paul has a robust theology of the kingdom of God. And we don't. The reason why we struggle with this is our theology of the kingdom tends to be really anemic. Paul's theology of the kingdom of God is so much bigger. What Paul says in this passage, and it's some little pieces that I kind of skipped over, and so that's why I want you to read it on your own. But Paul goes into this little thing where he says, hey, are you married? He goes, great. But you can't find your identity there. Hey, are you single? That's fine too. Don't worry, it's okay to be single because your ultimate wedding feast is coming in the end. Because here's what we know is the Bible begins with a wedding and it ends with a wedding. 
Adam and Eve and God and they're all there in the garden together and it's this covenant that they make together and it gets broken but God begins the work of putting it all back together again and Jesus is the one that comes he's the new Adam he's the new groom and the very last few pages of the Bible in the book of Revelation there's the wedding banquet of the lamb where we get to be with him at a great feast And it's the ultimate wedding. And Paul says, hey, if you're not married now, it'll be okay. Because in a way, you're already engaged. You're already engaged. You might not have a wedding in this life, but the ultimate wedding is here to come. And Paul goes on. He says, you got a big bank account? That's awesome. But don't put your life into it. That can be gone like that. And then where will you be? He goes, hey, you have a great retirement plan? Good, I'm glad you saved. But that's not, where, that's not where your security comes from. Paul goes through all these different things and he says, he gives us this beautiful picture of the kingdom. That's why Paul can say, hey, marriage, sex, intimacy, all that stuff, awesome. It's amazing. It's incredible, top shelf sort of stuff. But you can be celibate, you can be single. And it's okay, you are still a human being because you get your identity not from your marital status. You get your identity from knowing that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. In my last few minutes, I've got some practical help for you, okay? Because I know that's all sort of like theological and like, okay, I get it, like radical view of sex, radical view of singleness, um, but, uh, but here's, here's a couple practical things, okay? I don't know where this will land with whatever sort of season of life you're in, but here, here's just three things real quick. Number one is remember, character paves the way to intimacy. Character paves the way to intimacy. Do you want to know what the sexiest thing is of all? The sexiest thing is character and integrity. It's character and integrity. Don't forget this because every other voice in our culture is telling us, hey, you got a problem in the bedroom? Here's the problem. If you have a problem in the bedroom, here's what you need to do. You need to come, you, you, you know, it can be solved by doing different stuff in the bedroom. That's what our culture says. You got a problem in the bedroom? You know what you need? You need this product. Oh, you know what you need? You need better abs. That's what you need. That's the problem is, you know, you're not, you're not feeling attractive. Well, you just need to, like, buff up the abs, and then you'll be attractive. Our culture, it tries to use tips and techniques to try to give us sexual intimacy. And here's what you got to know from me is tics, or tips and techniques will not up the game on intimacy. Do you know what will? Is character and integrity and repentance. Guys, do you know what your wives are going to find irresistible? Repentance. Integrity. Character. I guarantee all of us right now could get in our cars and go on a little field trip and we could go to, you know, like the lover's store, you know, wherever that is. There's plenty of those in Eugene. We could go to one of those stores. And you know what you're not going to see anywhere on any shelf? You're not going to see anything in that store at all that talks about character and integrity and repentance. None. Why? Because it doesn't sell products. Because it doesn't get your money. They want your money. They don't want intimacy for your sexual relationship. Guess who wants intimacy for your sexual relationship? The God who made you. 
the God that loves you, the God that's willing to tell you the truth. And so God isn't going to give you tips and techniques. What God's going to say is he's going to say, hey, follow me. Follow me. You want to know what the sexiest thing of all is? It's character and integrity. We forget that easily. We lose sight of it. But it's the truth. Married people, you're having trouble with like sort of like that area of your relationship? Just, you know, it's complicated, I know. There's lots of stuff. But why don't you just start with character and integrity and repentance? Start there. Just start there and see what happens. Single people, it's okay to work on your abs, okay? Like, that's fine. Do that. Paul would say, hey, great abs, awesome. But that's not where you're going to find your significance, you know? Um, That's all great. But hey, single people, you know what the best thing you can do to just lay the foundation for sexual intimacy in your your future life, if that's in store for you? Guess what it is? It's character, integrity, repentance. Do those things. Number two is remember you're not alone. That's it. You're not alone. You're not alone. We feel so alone in this. This is an awkward conversation. It's awkward. You know, we don't want to talk about it with each other. But what if we, Westside, what if we were a community where when we're struggling in these areas, when we have questions, when we've got concerns, when we feel tempted, when we, when we just, things are happening in this area of our, of our life that we wouldn't just tuck it away and hide it away. But what if we were the kind of community where it was okay to talk? It was okay to say, hey, I'm, I'm broken. I'm hurting. I need help. Would you help me? You are not alone. Let's create a community where we can be there for each other in this area. Last but not least, never forget about the healing power of God's endless grace. His enduring, fresh grace that he gives every single day. This topic carries with it so much shame and guilt. I couldn't, I don't even know like just how, where, where this is all landing. Perhaps maybe even, maybe a lot of the things I'm saying even right now, I, I, I haven't said one thing that's like sort of shamey or guilty, you know, but we tend to just filter that through and we just like, oh, we just feel shamed and guilty. Can I just, if that's, if you felt that this morning, then I want you to hear me. Don't stop. Don't stop. Just, I mean, I mean. I mean, don't stop. You know what I mean? Like, don't, and then period. Stop, period. Stop it. Stop it. There's grace. There's grace. There's grace. There's grace. You are not loved because you're a good rule follower. You are not loved because you followed all the rules in high school. You're not loved because you followed all the rules in college. That's not where our, our love, the love of the Father comes from, is from our performance. He loves you today. He, lo- he knows you to the bottom. He sees you to the bottom. And he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. His grace. His grace is never ending. Would you just hold that in your heart today as we just, as you process that and as, you know, you walk out and you're like, what am I supposed to do with that talk this morning? Just if there's anything that you can carry, I want you to carry with you is that, oh, grace. He's given us grace. He's forgiven so much. How can I not? How can I not? How can I not honor him with my body?